Very excited about today's show, not only because it is the first Paul Rivera podcast, but also because my guest today is Draymond Green. We discuss his arrival in the NBA. We discuss the dynasty that is the Golden State Warriors. We discuss LeBron James, amongst a bunch of other things. I think it's a great show. It's funny. It's insightful. It's passionate. It's everything Draymond Green is. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, we're going to get into it. We've talked about it takes a special group. And you've even said, you've gone a step further, it only works because you have a guy like Clay's personality. Yeah. That ain't going to trip if he takes 17 shots one game and gets seven the next. Like, Or maybe, obviously, it affects everyone, but outwardly, he ain't going to be like, this is some bullshit and catch a tantrum. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like That's why Yashit works, in my opinion. You guys, and you're probably the biggest example of it, you guys have like a selfless crew that's like, as long as we whoop an ass... It's cool. It's when you're down 10 to the Knicks that yeah. you're like, what the fuck are we doing? Absolutely. You know, so. I'll tell you what was even more impressive about last night. So, like you said, with Steph coming off the 50 mm-hmm. and going into the guard, he had it going in that first quarter. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. That's great like, he got it really going in that first quarter. He hit the wall at, like, the four-minute mark. He was tired, mm-hmm. and he started missing. Mm-hmm. But he really had it going. I think at that point he had, like, 15. And it's easy for him to say, I just had 50, and we in the garden. Right. I got 15 in the first quarter, and just kind of the game could take a turn for the worse, or if he got it going, it's going to work out. But if he right. don't, and he just forcing it, it's going right. to go bad. For him to realize that, oh, man, Caden got it going, and just kind of slide out the way, yeah. like that could have actually been a historical night for Steph last night, again, in the garden. And it's crazy for you guys because you have – in my opinion, the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA and Steph, right? And shit, some people could argue KD is in the conversation for greatest scorers in the history. So having those guys every night, how do you even pick, like, what's that look like? Like, shot distribution. And a lot of times it's you taking the biggest L in terms of selflessness. Are you guys aware of that? Like, a hot hand? Like, what do you guys do? How do you guys even decide that shit? I, <clears throat> It kind of falls on me and Andre okay. to kind of have a feel of like, oh, man, Clay ain't got a shot yet, uh, you know, in a while. Let's get Clay a touch. Because, by the way, Clay may be the second best shooter in the NBA. Right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, it's not like he's – we're not talking about like – I don't even want to say another name, like a good shooter. He's a yeah. great shooter. Absolutely. And, pos- and when – Steph's an amazing shooter, like great shooter, probably the best we've ever seen. But when you're talking straight spot up, Clay may be better. That's insane. He may be better, just straight spot up. Like, for instance, when we do, like, shooting competitions or, like, like we play these games called on the board and you literally, everybody line up, whoever in the game, you line up around three-point line and you just go in a row. And so make one, two, three, four. The first person to miss, get that number. Got you. So if it's eight makes in a row and then the ninth guy miss or back around and the ninth one, yep. you get nine points. And so, gotcha. so the more points... That's bad. You get 21 points and, and you're, you're out. out. Okay, got you. When we do stuff like that, Clay always beats Steph. Like, he always wins. In pra- so, let me ask you that. So, in practice, when I saw a video clip of, I want to say it was like KD and Steph, and it might have just been like pregame or shoot around. They were in the corner. Mm-hmm. 
I think they made 27 straight shots between them. Yeah. And it was just like, and I could tell it happens often because there was no rah-rah. They weren't surprised by it. It was like, we're just going through our reps. Yeah. Like, so what are, what are shooting, are you guys in awe still of it or are you used to it? Like in practice when you see those three guys just doing ridiculous You know what's shit. crazy is DeMarcus was literally asking me that the last, uh-huh. um, the game that Steph had 50. Cuz was on the bench like, and you used to this shit, huh? And I'm like, it's not necessarily that I'm so used to it that, like, I don't get up and go crazy. And it's not because I'm used to it more so than the fact of when Steph got it going, I know where exactly what his next shot is about to be. Like, I can tell the way he dribbling the ball. I can tell the way he look. Like, I can tell by how the way he start chopping the steps. I know exactly where his next. So, like, Steph will get the ball at the opposite three-point line and start dribbling down. I can tell you exactly where he's about to shoot it from. So when he shoot it, A, I'm not shocked that he make it because we know he's the greatest, greatest. shooter we've ever yep. seen. But B, I knew exactly what shot he's about to take just by the way he's moving on the way down the floor. Which in a way helps you do your job as well in terms of position, offensive glass, and all those things. Absolutely. Like, but, you know, majority of the time, I, I, my job is, is simple. Get the fuck out the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he get that look in his eyes sometimes and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna just get out the way. But you have two and a half of those guys, because didn't what Clay scored thirty or something like that in a quarter one time? Seven and a quarter. He said sixty and three quarters last year or two years. That's ago. not normal, man. Like to have three guys that can absolutely. You very well may have, and again, no disrespect to anyone, the three best scorers in the NBA on one team, and arguably you've won Defensive Player of the Year and the best defensive player on the team. It's like. So I know you probably saw the clip of the guy uh, talking shit to Boogie when he was like, you ruined the NBA. Yeah. You ruined the NBA. You hear a lot of that. Ch- Do you guys, not is it fair, because, hey, it's sport. Everyone signed a permission slip, as I like to say. Um, you guys realize how good you are? Or how great you are? Let's go there. I think we definitely realize how, how great we are. Um, I think sometimes we definitely take it for granted, though. Mm. Like, for instance, being like you been down ten points last night to the Knicks, and yep. then just it's like flipping the switch. And literally, the entire year last year was that. Like, we literally got to the playoffs and flipped the switch. Like, we lost to Utah by fifty, like two games before the playoffs started, and then all of a sudden, game one of the playoffs start, and like we rolling people. Like it's. It's scary. Well, that's the danger, right? Because you know you can do it. And you almost can do it whenever the fuck you feel like doing it. Yeah. Too. Like you guys can literally flip the switch and say, okay, we're done playing. Which is why you guys come out of halftime and just steamroll people. Mm-hmm. You guys, you know, it was cute. You're down up six or a team feels like they're in there, they're into it and all these things. And you come out and blitz someone 17, nothing. The game's over yeah. before the first time out. I always look at teams like in that second quarter, they get on a run or something, and they go up like 12. Even if they go in a halftime of 12, it's like, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> but you probably needed to get that to 20, 25. It's, you know how they say, and you've played basketball all your life, it's like they say, if you if you watch games, they'll say, hey, like, this team needs to be careful because if this lead goes to 10 before half, that's danger zone, whatever. It's almost, with you guys, that applies to the team that's ahead. Like, you need to yeah. be careful what you were just saying. 
If you keep this lead under 10 before half, you're finished. It's over. Like you can forget about it. It's over. It's uh, it's. I think this team hasn't, you know, just an uncanny ability to like, even more so than flip the switch, just to lock in on a certain thing at a certain point. And so if that thing, if we go in the locker room and that thing is defense, and we like, yo, listen. Offense is great, blah, blah, blah. But we need to lock in on, and this team can do it like that. Is that tough to do? I got to imagine, and for you guys, I always say the same thing. It's like you guys play a 100-game season, whatever it is, 105, 102. You guys don't play an 82-game season. I got to imagine it's tough to stay locked in for 100 games, right? It's it's And even tougher, and even tougher, or even, I'd love your answer, even tougher, it's like, Coming off championships. Yeah, it's impossible. And so, as a leader of a team, it gets tough because for me, as a leader of this team and a guy who needs to bring energy every night, sometimes I can bring that energy and you just see, like, yeah, man, it's game 47. (laughs) Like, the guy on, like, Tuesday. It's Wednesday in Milwaukee. Yeah, Yeah, like, and. We got in at 3 a.m. on the back-to-back, and, like, I, I'm bringing that energy, and you sometimes just look around like, he ain't got it. Yep. And so then trying to find that balance of, like, getting somebody going, like, hey, man, come on, like, whatever that is. It don't sound like that, but mm-hmm. whatever that is to get this guy going, trying to find that balance of that and just understanding that it's game 47 in Milwaukee on Tuesday night in the – middle of January and we are on a back to back that got in at three thirty in the morning. And this ain't game seven of the finals and we know when we get to game seven of the finals what we're capable of. Trying to find that mix and that balance is it's the toughest thing for me. No, I, I get it. I, I, I can only imagine especially you, not only as a team but for you personally. So speaking of you personally, I wanna I wanna take a step back for a second. And go back to uh, Saginaw, Michigan. Um, and you went to Saginaw High School? Yeah. All right. What was that like? What was your high school experience like? Because in doing, first of all, I'm going to tell myself, I don't really do research on <laughs> shows. As any listeners are probably like, yeah, no shit. Um, but especially when I'm interviewing friends and we have a personal relationship. Um, but I was like, you know what? I want to look up some stuff on you. And I was surprised. Like, you guys won two state titles, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think there's this misconception of, I think some of it's kind of you, I think, where it's like this underdog thing, but you've been decorated your entire career. Like, you you won two state titles. What was Saginaw High School like for you, like your career there? Uh, it's funny. Like, it was pretty, like, but it was pretty good. My freshman year, I played freshman basketball. Oh, wow. And, like, I was damn good. But like Saginaw High, it's it's a pedigree. Like we like it ain't just like oh like I came out of there now. Like we got a pedigree mm-hmm. of greatness for years. And so when I came in, I played I played freshman. There was another freshman um, who I grew up with, like close friend of mine. He made varsity, and I was on freshman. Your freshman year, I both your freshman JV. year. Wow, I was on varsity. There was two other freshmen that I'm one of them. I'm super close with. They were on JV, and I was on freshman. I was hot. Like, I wanted to transfer <laughs> schools starting my career. But, um, I mean, the school, uh, obviously, you know, 
growing up in the inner city, the curriculum ain't the best. So, it, and and honestly, school ain't ain't even what's most important. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to keep it a hundred, like I wasn't going to school. Like, yeah, man, I gotta get these amazing grades so I can go be a lawyer. I gotta go to school so I can go to practice, get good at basketball, and try to make it to this NBA. I started to take school more serious after my freshman year. I got I got caught cheating on an exam. <laughs> like so, our our my science teacher, he like gave us this study guide that looks just like the test, and it's actually questions from the test. Okay, but they all in different orders and like different stuff like that, and so. Of course, me, I took them and I took the study guide in with me and I had it under my test, the whole test, looking for the answers, copying it. How do you get caught? I feel like he saw me the entire time because <laughs> I literally got to, I had two more questions to do. By the way. You're home free. I'm, listen. Well, are I, you going listen, every question on the study guide? You're looking I'm, at every. I'm, if I'm cheating, let's go. Let's get an A. Listen, let's, let me get I, I literally probably missed like three on purpose. I don't like 60-something questions. I probably missed three on purpose. But, like, at this point, I, I'm two questions left. Like, how about I borrow this stuff and put it in my pocket? Right, right, nah. right. No, no, no. I want these last two. He come and take my test. So I felt, so he, so the way our grades work at, at the high, we call it sagging the high to high. The way our grades work is you got three semesters. I mean, you got three marking periods that okay. makes up a semester, three marking periods, and then a final exam. They all count as 25% of your semester grade. So he took my three marking period. He did it for the whole class. He took my three marking periods and factored them all together and then put a zero in for the final exam because I hadn't taken it yet. And he did it for the whole class, and he, like, by your student ID number, you can see like what what you needed to okay. get on the test to get whatever grade. I had with the zero factored in, I had a fifty nine point six percent. So a D minus is passing. Like a D minus would be sixty percent. Yep. I had fifty nine point six percent with a zero factored in. A twenty five percent of my grade is a zero until I take the exam. So realistically, I need to get one question right on the exam just to pass the class. I had to go to summer school that year. He failed me in a class, 0.4%. Now, at this point, are you like, I fucked that up? Or like, he's a hater? Because we're talking about 14 or 15-year-old Draymond, right? We're he, not talking about adult. Like he, He's a hater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't fuck anything up. He's a hater. And like that's how I felt then. Like, yeah, he's a hater. Also, mm. I need 0.4%. The least you can do is just give me my 0.4%. Yep. I would have got one question right. Yeah. I spent that summer in summer school. On the same year, uh, we had a math project. My math teacher is my aunt. We had a math project we had to do. I never did it. So one of my good friends, he did the math project. I literally copied it. The entire project? No, no, no. Like, took his work, put it in a printer. (laughs) In a copier. In a copier. (laughs) And copied it, stapled it together, and turned it in. Is he in your class? Different hour, <laughs> but same teacher. And so she comes to us like, this ain't going to work. What are you doing? Y'all getting a zero. 
And I'm like, hey, but you're my aunt. You can't do that to me. <laughs> she like, y'all getting a zero. I said, all right, I'll copy his. Let him get his grade. I'll take the zero. So I got an E, which is an F most places. We go A, B, C, D, E. Most people go F. E is spelling. I got an E in science and a D minus in math. And, like, my first semester grades, that was the second semester. My first semester grades was like a 3.2 out of 4.0. I finished that second semester with a 1.8. That's like an E average. My mom took basketball away from me that year. That was the start of my high school. Wow. Ninth grade. It changed my outlook on school. Uh, so what do you, how do you go from 1.8 basketball taken away, being taken away to having college offers? Like how's, what happened? <clears throat> because when she took basketball away that summer, she made me go to summer school and correct those two grades. So I went to summer school. I corrected those grades and got A's like I was capable of doing. And from that point on in high school, I never got anything less than a 3.3. Wow. So you go, obviously, you know, you go on to Michigan State to have a storied career. But any other schools, like, did you really consider any other schools? Anyone close, like, ah, I might go here, or was it always Michigan State? So I committed to Kentucky. I did not know that. And Tubby was still at Kentucky. My junior year, I went down to uh, the Kentucky game. My high school coach, um, head coach, Coach Dawkins, and my high school assistant coach, Coach Bruce, they drove us down to the Kentucky game. They was playing Florida. That's when Joe Kim and all them was mm. there. Uh, what's the thing called? Um, where Jay Billis and all those guys are there before the game. Like the college game day yeah. or whatever. Yep. yep. And they was there. So, so it's hype. You're hype. We walk into the, like, into the arena, and we're literally standing next to each other, yelling, screaming in each other's ear. It was that loud in the arena. So I'm like, oh, man, this is incredible. So I committed to Kentucky wow. right there the next day before we left. My mom had never even met Tubby. <laughs> My mom knew nothing about Kentucky. Which, by the way, is the worst thing you could do is commit on the spot. Yes. Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> right. Horrible decision. Right, right, right. I committed on the spot. My mom didn't know Tubby. My mom knew nothing about Kentucky. Now, people know my mom, like, for being on Twitter. However, she's always been a person on the Internet and on the blogs and stuff, even before Twitter and all that stuff. My mom found out I committed to Kentucky two weeks later on the Internet. Oh, my God. So I go home, and she's steaming. My mom didn't <laughs> talk to me for, like, a week, didn't say a word to me. She was so hurt. So then she took a trip down to Kentucky herself without me. And she came back, still hadn't talked to me. And she said, I apologize because I was so mad at you for coming there. But I went down there, and I see why you did. Mm. She said, I apologize, and I'm happy for you. But then Tubby left and went mm -hmm. to Minnesota that same year, so I decommitted. And Michigan State was always my dream school since I was a kid. But, like, they was kind of giving me the runaround, like, not really recruiting me, um, like, recruiting me, but just keeping me at bay, not really. Like, I didn't yeah, you know what commitment, you know yeah. what it looks like when a school really wants exactly. you. Exactly. Like, I didn't really have an offer, but they was kind of like. We'll like, keep talking. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, yeah. And so when I decommitted from Kentucky, I get a call the next morning at 7 a.m. By the way, I don't even hear my phone at 7 a.m. at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I heard the phone. 7 a.m., I answered the phone. Hello. Day-Day. Coach Izzo. 
Wow. And we are on the phone screaming and yelling at each other because he's telling me I'm a fucking liar. I'm telling him, like, y'all didn't even fucking offer me. He's like, you a fucking liar. I know we fucking offered you. And we're literally, like, this is recruiting, by the way. Like, so, you know, like, me and Izzo relationship is, like, public knowledge. We used to scream at each other when I was there. That's public knowledge. Our relationship was like that from the beginning. Wow. And so I committed there. But actually, my top three when I decommitted came down to Michigan, Michigan State, and Indiana. Okay. I didn't go to Indiana because I just didn't. Because it's Indiana? No. Uh, Coach <laughs> Sampson was there. Oh, okay. I loved okay. Kevin Sampson. Yep. But they had got in trouble before. Okay. And I just felt like they was going to get in trouble again. And sure enough, they did. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. And so I didn't go there because of that. Literally, and I love Michigan State. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. But I was going to go to Michigan. Wow. And so... I was literally, this is Sunday. My press conference is scheduled for Thursday. Okay. Now, at this point, it's really down to Michigan and Michigan State, and I'm leaning towards Michigan. Like, I'm probably going to go to Michigan. I've never told this story, by the way. So I feel like Spartan fans are going to hate it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, the real, it's the truth, and I'm a Spartan through and through. But Michigan, they begged me to come down to campus one more time. Begged me. I'm like, I don't know. They like, no, come down to open gym. We also need to show you the dorms that you'll be living in. Hey, I hated the dorm they showed me. <laughs> Wait, so you're already leaning towards going there. No, no, no. I'm pretty much going there. Wow. And so, like at this point it's not even leaning. I'm going to Michigan. And so they showed me the dorm, hated the dorm. And then I played in their open gym. And I played in the open gym, and I was busting their ass. Like, bad. Like, busting their ass bad. And I'm talking shit. Like, mm-hmm. that's how... That's what you do, yep. That's yep. what I do. That's like, normal I'm, to you, yep. Like, I'm out there busting their ass, and I'm talking cash shit, and nobody's saying nothing back. Like, Manny Harris was a freshman, so he ain't really talking like that. He just getting his feet wet. Deshaun Sims, who would be cut from the same cloth, he's just not a talker. But he mm-hmm. cut from, but so nobody's talking. And there was a guy named Javon Shepard who played. I was busting his ass. <laughs> he was like they starting wing, and I'm talking cash. And they say nothing back. Like nobody's talking back. And like I go to Michigan State and play an open gym. And like I'm about to fight Travis Walden. Like I'm about mm-hmm. to fight everybody up there. Like and they about to fight me. And it's like. That's how I grew up. Like, that's how it is in Saginaw. So I'm used to that. And when I went to their open gym, I said, yeah, this ain't me. Like, y'all, we're nothing alike. Wow. They tricked the money off. This ain't the school for me. Literally, I was going to Michigan. And if they would have left me at home and not begged me to come there on that Monday before that Thursday I was supposed to do my press conference, I would have went to Michigan. Wow. So you show up Michigan State culture shock at all like not even from a like environment stand, but just from like high school ball to college ball big time college ball Izzo style um, playing time was it a shock for you or you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into I knew what I was getting myself into nonetheless it was still a shock it was a shock culturally it was a shock basketball wise um, it's like I was always a kid like I never really worked out like I would hoop 
all day every day growing up. But it, like doing a workout, like I never worked out. So I got to college and like they talking about lifting weights. Um, yeah, I knew nothing about that. Like at my high school, we ain't had no fucking weights. So like I was overweight, one. I was like 270 when I got to college. Um, Wait, you was 270 when you got to college? Huge, like 24% body fat. How tall? How tall were you, or were you uh, six seven? Height. So what the same height you are now? Six five and three quarters with no shoes on. Two seventy. Two seven. Bad body. And what were you? What position were you supposed to be playing? Four. Holy shit! How are you carrying two set? What do you weigh now? I weigh two thirty five now. Holy shit! It was bad. And so I get there. I'm overweight. So then I get to the weight room. The first morning we lift. We did warm up set of bench. One thirty five. Warm up set. I threw up right after. Warm up set to start the workout. Just half your weight, Warm by the way. Warm up set of bench rest. 135, threw up. Was done the rest of the workout. Throwing up. Then after the workout, so I'm overweight, I'm supposed to do cardio every day. So they put me on the Stairmaster. And it's not the Stairmaster that's the actual stairs you're climbing. It's the Stairmaster stair where it's like the it's pedals. The pedals. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I get on the Stairmaster. I ain't never seen a piece of cardio equipment. <laughs> Second off, I get on the Stairmaster, and that shit went straight to the ground. Oh, you can't even keep the I pedals. I couldn't even keep wow. it up. So for like two months to start college, I had to just do the elliptical because I couldn't keep the Stairmaster up. Now, at any point, are you like, I might not be able to do this shit? So we do these individual workouts at the start of the year. So we go all summer with the GAs and lifting and playing open gym. We do these individual workouts at the start of the year. And that's when the assistant coaches start running the workouts. We're doing the warm-up drill where you slide chest pass across from each other, yep. slide to the top of the three-point yep. line, and then back to the baseline. And then you run chest passing down mm-hmm. to the other end. We were doing the warm-up drill. And I'm sliding back. And as I'm sliding back, passing the ball, I'm thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? Wow. As I'm thinking that to myself, the assistant, the assistant coach yelled at me, come on, this is what the fuck you signed up for. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, that's the <laughs> he's worst your, time. He's your bubble. Like, <laughs> it's the worst time yeah. I could have ever heard that. Yeah. And like, I definitely didn't think um, like I was going to make it. Like, it was just way too much conditioning. It was way too much lifting, working out. When we played open gym, I was great. But when it came to working out and doing all the other stuff, I didn't think I was going to make it. And then culturally, at my high school, I guess all black. Mm-hmm. I had never really spent much time just around any, like some Mexicans, um, like in our neighborhood. But like, I had never really spent much time around white people, um, like period. Caucasian. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want me to be politically correct, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't like so I knew nothing about it. And I yeah, get the good mis- or bad. It's like, just not the environment yeah, you've been. I right. just knew nothing yep. of it. Yep. And so I get to Michigan State in the summertime, and then we're around just mostly white people. Mm. And then the school year started, and my cousin, um, she went who I went to high school with. She also went to Michigan State. Um, and she stayed in the black, like at, at Michigan State, there's a couple of dorms that most of the black people stay in. One <laughs> of them is Hubbard. <laughs> and so she stayed in Hubbard. It's literally on the other side of campus, like from where we are, where the athletes stay. It's the complete other side of campus. So I got dropped off at our dorm when school first started because the regular students started to come in for school, but we were there for the summer. Uh-huh. 
And I walked in and there was like a bunch of black people. And I was nervous. Why were you nervous? Because I had been, now I go from only being around black people in my life to three months of all white people. Mm. And now it was like a culture shock, like, man, like how are these black people looking at me? (laughs) Like I lost myself for a minute. (laughs) So then I like, obviously as college, you know, as the year went on, then you started to figure out like, where the crowd at that you want to run in right. and where the parties at that you want to go to and different things like that. But for a minute, like, when I was there that summer, like, we, I was only around, except for my teammates, only around just white people. Hmm. And, like, I lost myself. Like, I literally felt like when I walked in that dorm, like, the black people that was in the dorm was looking at me weird. Like, yo, how they looking at me? I was nervous as hell. It was wow. a culture shock for me. Like, so basketball was a huge shock. And culturally, like, it was all just a huge shock for me. So I, I was speaking of shocks as I'm doing a little research on you, collegiate high school career. Um, I'm going to say a couple of things, a couple of awards that I didn't know you had any of, to be honest with you. So, so <laughs> Big Ten Six Man of the Year Award, yeah. Big Ten All-Defensive Team, two-time third-team All-Big Ten, first-team All-Big Ten, Big Ten Player of the Year, Consensus First Team All-American, NABC National Player of the Year. That's a hell of a collegiate career. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a collegiate career. What do you remember most? Like what when when it finally clicked for you? Like it was clicking. Like you was. What was that like? Uh, so it, when it clicked for me, and when I actually was able to really insert myself was different. When it really clicked for me was like midway through my freshman year. Okay. We started Big Ten season. I wasn't playing much at all, like, through through the non-conference schedule. And then we started Big Ten season all of a sudden from, like, midway through the Big Ten season on through the Big Ten tournament, on through what was championship game running. We got cracked in North Carolina um, in, the fin- in the championship game. I averaged, like, 25 minutes a game from that point on. Then that next year I And are you back. playing the four? Yeah. Okay. And the next year I came back, um, I still came off the bench. I was the sixth man. Delvon Rowe was starting in front of me. And I won sixth man of the year. But I was, like, playing, like, 27 mm-hmm. minutes a game. So then my junior year, I came back, and I was going to be sixth man again. And I told Iz, I'm like, Iz, I don't want to play. Like, I don't want to come oh, wow. off the bench no more. So he's like, all right. So he inserted me into the starting lineup, but Delvon Rowe still starting. And we got – I can't remember who was starting at the five. But – he inserted me into the starting lineup because Delvon's at the four. Delvon was a top five recruit, by the way, so he okay. always had the upper hand on me. Um, he inserted me in the lineup as a three. So we played at Duke. That's the game. So that's the, the one of the six games Kyrie played <laughs> Okay, <laughs> in his career. Yep, yep. We was one of them. He had 31. Oh, wow. Um, and I was playing a three. And it was horrible. Like, but everybody had told me, Dave, if you want to get to the league, you got to play the three. You got to show that you can guard threes with your sizings. So I'm like, I got to be a three. I got to be a three. I literally went to Coach Izzo after that game and said, Coach, I can't play the three. That ain't for me. Hmm. So then he figured out a way. He bumped somebody, started lining up, and I started at the four and been the four pretty much, you know, while I was four for the rest of my career in college. And it was still, it, it was clicking for me then at the four. 
But I still had guys in front of me. I had Kaitlyn Lucas there trying to get to the league. Darrell Summers was there trying to get to the league. And they they were in front of me. Um, at, at what point, Dre, are you thinking like, oh, I got a real shot to go, go to the L? I always thought that. Okay. But at what point did I really believe that? Yeah. Starting my senior year, like a couple games in, I went into my assistant coach, who I'm still close with to this day, his name is Dwayne Stevens. I went into his office. I said, D, I think this is my last year playing basketball. So the, the start about? of your senior year at we, Michigan State? We maybe four or five games into the year. I said, wow. what you talking about? I said, I think this is my last year playing basketball. He said, why? I said, because if I got to go overseas, um, I can't do that. Like, I, I ain't never left the state of Michigan. Like, when I went to California and got drafted by the Warriors, I was homesick in California. Like, it felt like a completely new wow. world to me, a different country, let alone if I had to go overseas. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have survived. So I said, if I got to go overseas, this is just going to be it for me. And he's like, shut up. You're going to make it to the league. And I'm like, nah, you don't understand. Like, you're like, just my man. That's yeah. why you're saying like, that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then that year, I really started to blow up and take off. And, like, I was mm. destroying everybody. But starting my senior year, wow. I thought that was it for me. So wow. I knew I was headed overseas. Wow. And then, obviously, been well documented. You get drafted in the second round. Actually, the one thing I want to ask you about that, in your opinion, did you slide to the second round, or were you happy you got drafted? No, I was pissed. Okay. Um, like, I was National Player of the Year. Like, there's two National Player of the Year awards, three. You got the Wooden Award, mm-hmm. you got the NABC Player of the Year Award, and you got the Naismith. Mm-hmm. Thomas Robinson, myself, and Anthony Davis was pretty much the three finalists for all of them. I won the NABC. And I think Anthony Davis won the other two. Okay. But Thomas Robinson possibly could have won one up, but I'm almost positive Anthony Davis won the other two. He was the number one pick. How am I in the running with the number one pick? Mm, that's a great point. And destroyed everybody in college basketball. And I'm going 35. I was livid. And to your point, it's not – Anthony Davis on the Pelicans today. Like, AD's numbers weren't, you know, 30, 20, and whatever. He was a great talent, obviously, yeah. but the numbers were a lot closer than people would think. My you know numbers, what I'm saying? Like, my overall numbers may have been, been better. better. Wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't like, surprise me. I'm not 100% positive they were, but they mm-hmm. may have been better. Mm-hmm. And so I was pissed. Like, how how is this even possible? And then all the guys that got drafted before me, like, hey, I, I I could look at Anthony Davis and know he was a special talent. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I should have been drafted right there with Anthony. Like I could look at him and tell he's special talent. But a lot of them other dudes <laughs> that got drafted before me, I'm looking like, yo, like these dudes ain't better than me. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, it was bittersweet. Like I was happy to get drafted. I was fucking living. Yeah, it's supposed to be the happiest day of your life, right? right? But the competitor pissed. in you doesn't allow you to enjoy it to nah, the fullest. I was like, pissed. So what's you get drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Who's the coach? Mark Jackson. Oh, Mark's the coach. All right. So Mark's the coach. What's that like? You land there. You're a pro. You know, it's not the Golden State we all know today, right? It's not the dynasty. Um, what's that team look like? What's the environment? What's what's like early days of Golden State like? We was just trying to figure it out. Steph Curry was coming off ankle injury. I remember Steph, my rookie year, Steph came back into the facility and he was doing a workout, literally coming off of ankle surgery um, that summer or whatever. He was doing a workout. And, like, Joe Laker, 
Bob Myers, like you name it, trainers, they were literally sitting around the court watching him like a hawk, trying to see how he was moving. And he ended up signing that four-year, $44 million extension like a couple <laughs> weeks later, right, right before the season or right when it started or whatever. But, like, that's where we were. They were trying to figure out if they wanted to extend, the guy, like yeah. give Steph a, a contract extension and were watching him like a hawk. David Lee was the only guy on our team at that point that had ever been to an all-star game. Um, we had Bogut, who was also coming off ankle surgery mm-hmm. because he got traded there that year before, but his ankle was broken, so he didn't play. He was coming off ankle surgery. Clay was coming off a rookie year where they had won 23 games, and like the last 10 to 15 games, he got to shoot all the balls he could possibly shoot, and he was coming off that year. Um no Andre Iguodala, he was in Denver. And and like, here you are, Harrison Barnes drafted the number seven pick, Festus Zilli 30, me 35. And but I'm what, pissed. What, was there excitement like, oh, we have a young core? Or was it like, we don't know what we have? Nah, it wasn't no excitement of like a young <laughs> core. Like, it was like, literally, we're in there like, Five or six weeks before training camp even start, like doing defensive drills with Darren Ehrman as our assistant coach. Like, like, yo, we were 29th in defenses. We're never gonna be that again. Like, we're in there doing shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. playing pickup every day during the week, like five weeks before camp wow. start. Like, trying to figure out who gonna be the man. Mark Jackson trying to like let Steph know, like, it's okay to be good. Like, hey man, you you are very fucking good. Mm-hmm. Believe it. Mm-hmm. Like, trying to show Clay, like, hey, you got an ability that don't many people have. Believe it. Like, that's where we were. So, you just brought up a name that I, I want to ask you a question, and I want you answer it however you see fit. Not that you have a mince words, but why is Mark Jackson not an NBA coach today? I'm not asking what went wrong in Golden State or anything like that, just because he had some success in Golden State, right? Like, and... The success we've had, we wouldn't have if he didn't prepare us my first two years in the league. My third year, Steve came in, and we won a championship. And Steve Steve definitely got us over the hump. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know for sure if – I mean, obviously, we'll never know because it, it would, it'll never happen now. But I don't know if Mark would have gotten us over the hump because we yeah, just we'll don't never know. know, right? Fair. However, I do know Steve definitely got us over the hump. Mm-hmm. And however, but we wouldn't have gotten to where we were with, without Mark. And he like he he instilled so much confidence in us that hey man, like y'all actually are good and y'all can do this, and made us feel like we feel like we belong to even start the whole process. Mm-hmm. The fact that he has not gotten another job in the NBA kind of baffles me. Because I see so many bad coaches. like Get multiple chances. Yeah, like get a you know, ton like, of chances. And, like, this is a guy who actually has some success. Who He took us to the playoffs two years in a row after winning 23 games um, with an organization that hadn't had any success. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't gotten another opportunity. And yet you watch, like, some of these coaches don't have a, the slightest idea of – what to do, mm-hmm. how to do it, how to motivate or anything. Like, I mean, at least 
even if you're like a young team, well, he's he, if he's proven nothing else, he's proven he can turn a young team yeah, he around. Can develop talent, right? So why? I, I don't understand why he has not gotten a job. It's, I, I agree with you 100%. It's one of the more mind-boggling things that isn't spoken about enough. Like You see this coaching carousel, we say, right? It's like coaches that were never successful or haven't had success get other chances, and um, which has always been interesting to me, so I, I wanted your take on it. Um, early impressions of Steph. Do you know immediately he's special? No. Okay. Because um, a lot of people don't realize, to your earlier point, it's like, Ankle surgeries, the problems. I mean, he was rolling his ankle crossing the half court line yeah. at the beginning. Like yeah. you know, like there was real problems there. Serious. Um, is he a point guard? Is he a two? All these things. So you firsthand, you don't. Obviously, you don't think he's a bum, but you you don't think he's Steph today in 2018. No, when when I first got there, a I didn't know he could dribble the ball. Like mm. I always saw him shooting the ball. Um, I got there and I'm like, yo, his handles are crazy. Like. I had no idea. And then he had just got to the point to where he like felt comfortable just like letting it ride and don't care what anybody thought. Um, I I didn't know he was special. I knew he could sh- really shoot the piss out the ball, and his handles were so much better than I had any clue mm-hmm. that he had. But just looking at him like, man, this guy is special. I didn't really think that or see that. Um, I don't know if anyone did, right? If anyone says that they're probably yeah. lying. But I was in- interested because you were there day in, day out, and seeing it, his evolution. I saw it quick. Okay, like once it, once it hit, you're like, yeah. yeah, okay, he's got a shot. But not as soon as I got there. Got you. Got you. You know, as I was thinking about us sitting down and doing this, you know, call it interview, but sitting down and having this conversation, I was thinking about, you know, thinking of Steph, how he gets all the credit in the world for changing the way the game is played today and rightly so right you can't you can't you go to an 8 year old game kids are heaving 30 footers right and that's the Steph effect and I don't say this because you're in the room because I was actually speaking with like our producers and stuff and the team um, before you walked in and I was saying I don't know if you get the credit I don't know if Draymond Green gets the credit for changing the way the game is played today in the NBA and what I mean by that is the small ball the uh, you know Going undersized, the five, the, um, you know, having a guy making the all-star team that isn't averaging 75 points a game, you know, the drafting players that could be our Draymond Green. You, I'm not asking if you get, because I know you don't get the credit you deserve for that. Do you realize that? Do you realize the impact you've had on the game? I do. Um, I sit and I talk to my mom about it a lot. She'd be like, boy, you changed the game. <laughs> <laughs> I realize that I don't get any credit for it, and and that's okay because at the end of the day, I think Steph gets a ton of credit for changing the game, how the way the game is played, uh, how important shooting is. Um, like shooting is at an all-time premium right now in the NBA, mm-hmm. um, and and that's hugely, you know, in part due to Steph. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that, and I understand that I don't get pretty much any credit for the way the game is played today but I know mm-hmm. like and and the thing about me is this and I don't need it like I don't um sit and be like man I wish I got more credit for the way the game because I know deep down inside I know I know the way I played the game and like that it's the way that we play today and the way people draft today and different mm-hmm. things is it, solely you know 
do to me in some aspects yeah. or some form. And I understand that, and it's cool because I, I don't really need nobody to say that. However, I think, I think what allowed me to change the game and what allowed Steph to change the game, I think we both were so vitally important to each other in the way that we played together and the, the chemistry that he and I formed in, like, 2015. And, and the success that I don't – I'm not taking any credit for his success, by the way. But in the success that he had, I think the, my skill set helped enhance his success. Mm-hmm. And obviously his skill set helped, like, completely helped enhance my skill set. And I think it was just a perfect mix. And, like, that year in 2015, even 2016, like, the most dangerous play to guard in the NBA was a pick and roll with me and Steph. Nobody could figure out how mm-hmm. to guard it. And, um, and I think that's why we both had large parts to do with each other's success and, like, changing the way the game was played. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like I don't think it's something anyone should shy away from. It's like you guys within your own right are world-class athletes. That's not debatable. And, you know, very successful at, the you know, the top 1% of the game globally, right? So that speaks for itself. But I do think it's not far-fetched to say that you guys have played uh, a huge role in each other's roles. Like Steph can play the way he plays at a higher level because of a lot of things you do on both ends of the floor, right? And vice versa, right? You can play the way you play because there's things Steph does on the offensive end, but that's why it's a team sport, mm-hmm. right? This isn't tennis, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So I don't think it's it's anything, you know, someone should hide from. But I've, I've always said that, and I've been noticing it in the last two years more than anything, you know, you start looking at, you know, this proposed trade that just came up. Talk about four first-rounders for this. That's not the Steph effect. That's the Dre effect. That's the, we got to figure out how to get smaller and faster and up and down the floor and all these things. So, you know, I was just curious if you were aware of, like, the narrative or the lack of narrative and your role in changing the game. So it's interesting to get your take. Um, we were talking, we started the conversation a little bit with this is you guys are so good or so great. Um you know, I was jokingly telling a friend the other day, I said, you guys get like, you guys are every team you plays, Super Bowl, homecoming, and all-star game all rolled in one. What's that like? Because there's no, there's other teams that are like, and I'm not going to say a team's name to disrespect, there's other teams that are like, oh, we got this team on Tuesday? Cool. I'm going to stay out all night. I'm going to whatever. and We'll probably beat them. It's whatever. You guys don't have any of those games. What's that like? It's stressful. Like, it's intense because, like, every night, like, we get somebody best shot, and it goes back to what we were talking about. Or, like, I think that's why, like, us being able to flip that switch is so important because to realistically think guys are going to stay locked in for 82 games, it's just impossible. Right. I mean, to even think of, like guys are going to be completely locked in for 65 games out of the 82 games, it's It's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And so because it's almost impossible, those 17 to 20 games that most teams aren't locked in, it's usually like 17 to 20 games against bums. (laughs) You're right. But on the flip side of that, the bums play great against us Mm -hmm. because everybody wants to beat us. Everybody wants to have a great game against us. And so it makes it tough to not be locked in, but yet 
you're still facing the rigors of the schedule. Um, you know, the travel, you know, the the back to backs, the four and five nights, all those things on top of getting everybody best shot every night. To think that we're gonna just be up for forty eight minutes mm-hmm. every night, it's just not gonna happen. And so I think that's why that that switch, like being able to flip that switch is so important for us. Now you take into account the rigors of the schedule and all this stuff. And how it's going to be hard to get up for that many games, and then add championship, add a championship to that. Mm-hmm. Now you know the feeling of like the pinnacle, and like how that feels. Winning the regular season game don't even compare to how that feels. Right. So now you're chasing that thing, not the win of a regular season game. Well, you can't get to that thing without going through the regular season and the playoffs, and, and the process of getting better, which is the most important thing, is the process. And so you're trying to get to that, and that's just, like, that championship makes it even tougher. That experience, yeah. that feel makes it even tougher uh, to get up for those games. Yep. Now you add in another one and another one. Yep. And everyone's individual success and everyone getting paid and everyone getting deal. Like, all of those things and the way you – and, and the, the manner in which you guys have done it, it's like, eh, we, you know what? We actually just got to get into the playoffs. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know what? We don't even need a one seed. Yeah. You know what? We're gonna win when we need to win. We're gonna win, and that's a very dangerous thing. It's very dangerous because I mean, we're going game seven on the road in Houston last year. Mm-hmm. We pulled it out, but like, but that's anything tough. can happen anything in game seven, right? Like, yeah, you don't even want to be there yeah. in game seven. As yep. much as you love to play in game sevens, you yep. never want to be in the game seven. Yep. And so, like, it's it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys are so good, Dre. That, and I'm not saying anything earth shattering here. I remember talking to you during the playoffs during that Houston series. And you always took them serious and respected them, right? Let me be clear on that. But you were never worried. No. Like, I knew they You're like, if we do what we do, if we play our best basketball, no one on earth can beat us. That going to happen. Not Houston, not anyone else. So I was always impressed by you being like, again, it wasn't a disrespect thing, like saying they ain't shit. You were just like, I know what we do. We're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, like, but to your point, it's a very nervous thing. Like, a game seven, someone could roll their ankles. Someone could get in foul trouble early. Someone could go off for 60 on the other team. It's a dangerous thing. But you guys are so good, man. It's like you guys can play with fire and, you know, come out on the on the on top or on the good side of it of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've always respected about you guys that, you know, you guys actually get a lot of shit for is you're always looking to get better. Right, so it's like obviously you guys went and had one championship, you know, had won all the games, and you go and pick up KD, right? And you guys are coming off back-to-back championships, and it's like, hey, Boogie Cousins, you're available. Yeah, come on over here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, talk to me a little bit about Boogie because I think Boogie two 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 things, right? One is the boogie signing did something that very rarely happens in sports but definitely in the nba it shocked people people didn't see that shit coming out of anywhere right so that's one it shocked people so i want to know your take on like the process of him you guys offering and him coming and you guys accepting him so that was the first one people were shocked the second one was and i heard this and kind of thought about it myself as well i'm like Who's going to punch who in the face first? Is Dre going to punch Boogie in the face? Is Boogie just because you guys' personalities? And I think people would be surprised if I know you guys actually click and are good friends. Mm-hmm. So talk a little about that, like the whole Boogie coming over um, to Golden State. I was in Greece on 
I, I've gotten, I've actually caught a lot of grief. Like, oh, did you, you caught Boogie and recruited him too? You ruined the NBA and this, that, and the other. And, I mean, I was in Santorini, like on a nice dinner date with my girlfriend. Just like I'm making real money now. I was in Greece. Okay. <laughs> Word on no basketball. With, with an amazing view of the water. Like I was thinking nothing it's of a fresh creates. catch of the day. Oh, incredible. <laughs> I mean, spectacular. The sun was setting. Great. I get a call from Bob. And Bob's like hyperventilating. Bob Myers, our GM. He's like, Draymond. <laughs> Hey man, things are crazy back here. I'm like, man, what's up? Like, I'm at dinner, but I'm answering the call because, like, I always talk to Bob, especially during free agency time, draft time. Like, he like, all right, we can get Demarcus Cousins, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And he like, Draymond, I promise you, I just got the phone with him. We can get him. How would you feel about playing with him? Because he's kind of worried that you and Kevin don't like him because of the incident that him and KD had uh, early in the year where they were about to fight. I said, Bob, what are you talking about? I don't care about that stuff. Like, it happened one game. Whatever. Who cares? He's like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how this happened. And I was like, all right. Bob, are you fucking crazy? Of course I want to play with DeMarcus Cousins. Like, you kidding me? He's like, all right, you sure? Well, you need to call Kevin. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll the call The GM's Kevin. telling you to call KD? You need to call Kevin. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'll call. I call K like, K, listen, man. Cuz think you don't like him. I know you don't dislike him. K, like, what, man, what y'all talking about? I'm like, yo, we can get him. I said, I know, I just heard. I'm with it. Kay said, are you fucking kidding me? Of course we want him. And that's just how it all happened. And, like, then I got, like, an hour and a half, two hours later, I got on the phone with DeMarcus because he wanted to hear it from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, listen, hell yeah, we want you here. And calm, like, we'd love to have you. And so we were able to get him, and, and it's been great, um, like, him and I are really close. We actually live like my house is probably my house is like a three minute walk oh, to really? his house. Oh wow. And like but we're really close and we definitely have both like really dominant personalities where our emotions on our sleeve. And I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, when he starts playing and like we're gonna get into it. Um uh, it's gonna happen. Like it's inevitable. But on winning teams, you embrace that. Like, you embrace getting into it with one of your teammates and arguing with him because you think he wrong, he think he right, and y'all got to squash it out or whatever. Like, it's inevitable, and that's that. That's how it should be. So, you know, when when I said, like, yeah, we're going to get into an argument and we make it into a fight, absolutely. A, that means you care. Mm-hmm. And it's important to care in what we're trying to do. And B, um, you know, it's it just is what it is, like, it's basketball. Like, I've gotten into it with several teammates. And, like, it's not like DeMarcus is going to be the first or the last. Like, mm-hmm. when you're trying to win basketball games, and, like, that's the stuff that matters. Like, you need that type of camaraderie. There is 
there's this misconception, in my opinion, about you. Well, there's a lot of misconceptions about you, but there's this misconception about you in the NBA that you are, you know, people have thrown around the dirty player thing, a bully, blah, 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 blah. And what I always tell people is there is not one thing that Dre does that he's not aware he's doing. And I mean that in the sense of, yes, you might be involved in some shit, you might get a T, you might whatever, but you're not just a hothead because I actually see you. You're the one guy that's actually breaking up a lot of the shit. You separate shit. Boogie got the T last night, right? And you were the one like, yo, chill or whatever. KD got into it with this guy. Hey, chill. So... There's a method to your madness. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I'm probably one of the most calculated people around. Um, like, everything I do is calculated. So, if, yeah, I may pick up a tech. Um, I'm picking up that tech for a reason. A, because I feel like the calls aren't going our way, and, like, sometimes you need that to get a couple calls. Um, or I may be picking up a tech because I see our team is just super-duper flat and needs some energy, and they'll feed off it. Um, I may get into it with a player because I think he's mentally weak, and I know if I get into it, it's gonna take into it with him. He's it's gonna take him out his entire game. Like there's several different things that I do that you know people be like, well, why would he do that? Or that's so dumb. And it's like, no, you're dumb. (laughs) No, you're dumb. You're dumb. (laughs) You don't really realize why why Mm -hmm. I'm doing that, and Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I'm doing. So. That's, I mean, I, I've always kind of been that way, mm-hmm. um, but it's, I think it's super important for me. Like, I had 15 texts last year. You get, once you get to 16, you suspend it. I had 15 texts with maybe 15 games to go. Wow. I didn't get another one because mm-hmm. I know where I'm at. All mm-hmm. right, I won't get another one then. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's just, that's just who I am. Like, I'm super calculated and I know when I'm, at a certain point or when, uh, like, I'm in a certain position of what I need to do for, at that point. I think clearly the results speak for themselves. You might have an idea of what you're doing. <laughs> um, let me ask you, what does the word dynasty mean to you in sports? I think a six, for me, dynasty is... A sustained period of excellence, of of greatness in sports. Um, you know, I think I don't think there's a number to it. Like, so for instance, some people say when you win three rings, you're not yeah. a dynasty. The like, mythical three peat, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, and it's like no, there is no number to dynasty. Like, it's 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 just not like. Who's who makes up that number? Like what what is dynasty is? Like I think we all can feel and see uh, when there's a dynasty going on, but just to put a number on it, like I don't think that's it's just not it. Like because there's no number. Who's 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 going to come up with the right number? Right. So for me, it's just a, about a sustained period of excellence in sports. Do you think? The current version of the Golden State Warriors, are you guys today as you stand a dynasty? Or do you need this three-peat to solidify that? Or are you a dynasty right now? I think we're a dynasty already. Um, 
to get to three P would obviously be great. Uh like that would just be fantastic. But the Spurs ain't never even went back to back. And I think we all agree they've been a dynasty over the last twenty something odd years. We I'm sure we like most agrees that yeah, they're a dynasty. Yeah, they I never even won a back to back championship. Yeah, it's not even if you mentioning dynasties there they're on that short list. Absolutely. You know? And no back to backs, right. let alone or three. That's crazy. I didn't realize that. That's crazy. I think you guys for me it's not even a conversation. You guys are a dynasty, A because of the success you've had, right? But B because of some of the stuff we talked about earlier as well. So you guys you guys are literally changing the way the game's played. And you know, you could look at dynasty from a couple of different um angles. Um a couple more questions before we get out of here. I wanted to ask you um, about LeBron and your relationship with LeBron. Um, it's funny. When we did the shop uh, a couple years ago, I think it was in New Orleans, the one we did, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, we had put a, a short clip of you and him talking about Game 7, and I asked you guys if you knew you were in it, and it was super interesting to hear you guys talk about that. But what shocked me more than even that was when I was reading some of the comments on YouTube people were blown away that you guys were in the same room. People were like, literally, one of the comments was like, did they fight? Did you have to separate them? Was there security? And I was like, oh, these people really think that's real life. <laughs> like, they don't know, not only you guys, you guys like have a real relationship, real friendship. You're involved in businesses together. Like, talk a little bit about your relationship. I think that's one of like the biggest misconceptions there is like with you guys. It is like a huge misconception. Um, like, one of the things that pisses me off is like, you know, like people think they got a way to talk to you. Like, so, like, this is my way to have a conversation with him. And obviously the most used phrase for someone trying to have a conversation with me is no matter where I am, hey, fuck LeBron. Mm. And I'm like, fuck LeBron? What you mean, fuck LeBron? Like, fuck you. Like, that's not about to have get you a conversation with me. Also, right. I am immediately tuning you out once you say that. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, why do you feel the need to say fuck LeBron? Like, because you think that's going to make me happy? Well, hey, like, that's family. So, number one, you already crossed the line because that's family. Mm-hmm. Number two, even if it wasn't family, if I want to say fuck LeBron, I'm going to tell LeBron fuck LeBron. Yep. I don't need you to come up to me saying fuck LeBron. Yep. And so... That conversation is immediately gone south, and it's not about to happen. Get out of my face. Um, now, but on the flip side of that, like beyond that, we battle on the court. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I try to take his head off. He try to take mine off. I've hit him with some mean screens. He's hit me with some mean shoulders to the chest, like elbows, you name it. Mm-hmm. Like, we trying to battle. We competing for something. We competitors. Uh, we want to be the best at what we do. We want to be the last man standing. We battle. We going to go at it. And that's never going to change um, until the day one of us is done. I mean, Bron looked like he got another 10 years to go, so <laughs> can't really just say until he's done. <laughs> but until one of us is done playing, um, it's going to always be that way. But off the court is where it's different. Um, like, like I said, that's family to me. Biz, we're in different business ventures together. Um, you know, the one thing I I respect about Brian is the way that he's handled everything, like from his business 
to basketball to his entire career. It's just everything as a whole. Like, he's laid out such a blueprint for guys like myself and, and everybody. Like, he laid the blueprint out. And I think so many people are afraid to say they try to follow it. Like, so many people make a mistake trying to, like, mimic what Brian and yourself and Mav and Rich and Randy and all y'all have accomplished. People make mistakes, like, trying to mimic it with a twist. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do that, that they did, but we're going to add this twist to say it's our idea. And that twist completely fucked the idea <laughs> up. As opposed to just saying, it worked. Yeah. Like, and why I, not do it again? And it's a weird thing for me. It's like, I don't know what it is, if it's like a pride, and ego thing, whatnot. Because in any other field... You're like, oh, wait, they built a business doing that. Yeah, then we should do, and we can be successful. We should do that. Let's do that. 100%. Like, it's a weird thing. When you look at some of these CEOs of these top companies, all he did was took the model of the company that he sold for $400 million, enhanced it a little bit to, because the mistakes that he made, he learned from. Mm -hmm. He take that same model, go create, as opposed to taking that model in the where he sold a speaker company, where he was making speakers for $400 million. Now he's taking that model to making glasses, mm -hmm. and he's using the same exact model to sell that company for $2.5 billion. Nobody's looking at them like, oh, well, such and such was doing that. Now they're right. wrong. But yet we get in basketball, and obviously it's a competition, the heat of the battle, and it's entertainment. And I think that's where it gets screwed mm -hmm. up because it's for other people's entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing something for someone else's entertainment, they all feel the need to chop in and judge. I mean, to they all feel the need to, like, jump in, like, tell their side of the story, say what they think, mm -hmm. and most importantly, to, to judge whatever's going on. Yeah, and people think they have to pick sides. yeah. I can't, I get it on my end. People are like, well, wait, Bron's your business partner and your boy. How, what do you mean you're cool with Dre? I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. Dre's my man too. And we're in business ventures together too. Like it's, why is that a problem? And you brought up like a super interesting point to me a couple of months ago. We were talking about this. You said CEOs hang out together. Owners of teams can hang out together and go to dinner and have a conversation and play golf. Why can't players do that? You know? That's, that's how, that's how they try to train us up like you're supposed to hate your opponent man you you like see some of these older guys that played in the NBA back in the day and some of them still hate each other from like battles they <laughs> like had why, 30 dog? years ago yeah and it's like yo but that's that's like that's how they were trained. Like, mm -hmm. they were trained, you got to hate that guy, and you mm -hmm. can't do anything with that guy. and ain't no business with that guy. And I think that's where, you know, the mindset has completely shifted, partly due to AAU, partly due to camps. Yep. Uh, everybody, like, some of us been playing each other since we were 12, yep. 13 years with old. With each other, against each other, yeah. yes. And so I think that was part of the change, but I also think guys becoming more business savvy and – having a better grip on their career and their business as a whole than what people used to have. Like 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 I said, these owners, they have they drink together at halftime. Like they will be in the bar area taking a shot at halftime while 
I'm supposed to be in the other locker room hating LeBron. Yeah, I mean, if you as much as like exchange like a smile or like say something that no one knows, that's that's frowned upon. Like, look, these guys couldn't play back in the day. Like frowned upon, and it's like, yo, were were guys that much of puppets? Like that you were conditioned to think, like during the middle of the game, me and Brian not gonna laugh about something. Mm-hmm. We not gonna shake each other up. Like it doesn't mean you're not gonna try to knock his block off. Yeah, but right. like. Come on, man. Yeah. And and that's how people were conditioned. And it's it's one of the most ridiculous things because it's it goes back to something I said before. Um it's a slave mentality. Like you can't be cool with that guy because you're competing against him. No, I'm be cool with him. We're gonna be great friends, family, and we're gonna compete. At yep. the highest level. Yep. And it's actually probably going to even make the competition even greater yep. between us because I know later on we got to sit over a, glass, a bottle of wine yep. and I got to hear about him talk about how they just won the game. Yep. I don't want to hear that. So yep. it's going to make the competition even like greater mm-hmm. because you want to win that much more. And so I, I just don't, you know, like I think it's it's – it's really fucked up. And it's like, give me the respect as a pro that I'm going to take my craft seriously and I'm always going to try to kill whoever's in front of me. But I'm also a grown-ass man enough to be able to separate the two. Absolutely. And it's the people that don't know how to se- separate the two that want you to be that way. Mm-hmm. It's not really my problem. You don't know how to separate the two. Like, you can't be cool with a guy and then get on that line, get get in between them lines and like try to take his head off. That's not really my problem. So don't judge me by your standards or your capabilities. Don't judge me by those because that ain't me. Like I can like we can go have a glass of wine tonight and when we play tomorrow, <laughs> I'm gonna try to knock you out. That's right. just the nature of the game we play. And however, you can try to knock me out. When we get off that floor, it's all love. I don't care. We it's, always it's on the floor. Mav and I talk about that, and it's like people literally a week doesn't go by that don't ask Mav. I like, well, how are you cool with both those guys? And our answer is always the same. It's like they're two grown ass men doing what they get paid a lot of money to do, and they're the best in the world at doing it. They figure that out between the court. If they're cool off the court, it ain't my place not to be cool with both of them. Those are both my friends. Yeah, so I, it's, this is a funny story, and the world would never know this story. I don't know if Math going to get mad at me or not, but it's a great story. I know where you're going with this. So, <laughs> what was it, game four of the NBA Finals 2016, I had the incident with Bron. Mm-hmm. And all you look at in the media is the Cavs want Draymond suspended. They're doing this. They want that. He should be suspended, X, Y, Z. And this is, like, playing out over the course of a day or two. And I called Mav. I said, Mav, wow, you playing a role. He was so mad. And Mav was like, what are you talking about? I said, y'all motherfuckers trying to get me suspended? And you want to sit here and play this role like you ain't a part of it? And Mav was like, First off, I've worked my entire life to get to where I'm at. I don't play no fucking roles. And your main issue was, at the time, you're in the heat of the battle, it's like Mav's playing, Mav's doing this on the Cavs side, and he's also playing like he's your friend. Yes. Yes. Your and I'm like, you really my enemy right now, but you playing a role like we cool. Mm-hmm. 
nah, like I can't rock with that. And he's like, I've worked my entire life for everything I fucking got. I don't play no fucking roles. He said, y'all two grown ass men. I don't give a damn if, if you get suspended or LeBron gets suspended. That has absolutely nothing to do with me. And I'm going back. I mean, I am going crazy at math. He told me he's in the car when you call him. He He's so hot, he tells the driver to pull over. Like, like if it's affecting his driving. <laughs> he's being driven. Tells the driver to pull over. Like, that's how, like, locked in he was to this right, conversation. Right. So we <clears throat> on the phone going crazy at each other. Like, I mean, like, I'm taking shots at him. He taking shots at me. We are just, like going crazy at each other. And this is like really one of the moments where like once hey, we get disconnected like 50 minutes He's into going the up conversation. The hill. Yeah. We get disconnected 50 minutes in. At this point we've argued so bad it's like fuck it, we got disconnected. Like go your separate way, I go my separate way. Math called me back 2 minutes later <laughs> and we was on the phone for another hour and 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we're just going at each other. And finally, we got to the point of like, like, you, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm not it is what to, it is. Feel I, how you yeah, feel. Yeah, feel how you feel. I'm not about to And both of you are like that. Like, yeah, yeah. okay. And I remember <laughs> Danny, good friend of mine, business partner, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, good friend of all of ours. Yeah, of course. Um, family. Yep. Danny's like, I'm calling Danny to talk about math. Danny's calling me to, <laughs> like, to talk about math. And Mav is calling Danny to talk about me. Yeah. And Danny's like, this is funny. Y'all both calling me saying the same thing. Like, I don't know where our friendship go from here. Mm. But there's a high possibility it's probably over. Like, I am in the emotions of being suspended from one of the big... Like, this is a close game, game yeah. in the NBA Finals. 100%. Like, I am, like, dealing with those emotions. Yeah, like, the emotions don't run higher. Yeah, like, that's that's the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with all of those emotions. And, like, I'm like, fuck everybody. But yet, I'm like, like nah, Mav, like, that's my big bro. Like, that's mm-hmm. my dog. But nah, like, fuck that. And mm-hmm. he's like... He's saying to Danny, like, but I'm telling Danny, like, man, I, don't, I I think our relationship is over, and I don't really want it to be, but it went bad. And he's telling Danny, like, Danny, I don't know where our relationship go from here. But and you know what the tough thing is in those, you know what the tough thing is in those types of situations. You're both super passionate, right? Yeah. There's a lot of stress in the in the thing, and maybe most important is you don't need each other. Yeah. Life's easier with each other, right? It's like you guys can do good business, go on vacation, have a great time. But you don't need each other. Draymond Green's Draymond Green, and Maverick Carter's Maverick Carter. Mm-hmm. And that's when people that have a little less character, people that um, maybe don't get it, will say, "Well, oh, fuck this. I don't need to work on this. Yep. I'm out of here. Yep. And you get people in your ear like, you know what? You're right. I've been told you about him. I told you this guy was this and that. So I thought... My take out of it was first I thought it was funny, and then I thought it was like it was a testament to both your guys' character. Where it was like it would have been actually easier to walk away from mm-hmm. your friendship at that point. Absolutely. You know what's out? What what fixed it? What do you think was the thing that was like? All right, what made you? What allowed you to get past it that moment? Uh, I just realized that like my emotions was just running so high. I wanted to put him in the middle of something he wasn't really in the middle of. And like, what Mav is, what I'm, Mav is ten years older than yep. me. Like, 
obviously him being the big brother in the situation, he like, I understand what he's going mm-hmm. through. And we both just like, nah, like we're not about to go down like that. Like mm-hmm. that's my brother. Like that's my big bro. I'm his little bro. Like we're not going down like that. And we kind of just came back together. And after they beat us in game seven, mm-hmm. I went up to him on the court and I hugged him. I remember him. that. I remember and that. like the rest is just history. And it's crazy because from that point on, our relationship got so much stronger. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually thankful for that moment because I don't even know if our relationship today, without that moment, mm. is near where it is today mm-hmm. because that moment was such like a key, vital moment in both of our lives. And like that we could have both, like you said, just like, fuck him, like move, keep it moving. It made us that much stronger. And I, and I, I appreciate that moment. But boy, <laughs> I thought it was. He called me. He was like, man, you're not going to believe what just, you know, so. Um, and here's the thing, you know, my last point on that is it's like, to my earlier point, it would have been easy for him to be like, I'm out of here, fuck all this, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it was like, no, you guys have a real genuine relationship. So, so want to get you out of here. So one last question, um, and a simple one, or maybe not so simple. Three-time NBA All-Star, right? Yeah. Three-time NBA champion, mm-hmm. offensive player of the year, gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist. Do you still think you're underrated? Do you still think you're undervalued? Yeah, for sure. I mean, people think I get carried by three all-stars. Like, um, that's just kind of the, the nature of it. And that'll never change uh, as long as I'm on the team with three or four all-stars, five all-stars. I mean, Andre was an all-star. Okay, yeah, like five, five other all-stars. Um, people always say I get carried partly because I don't really shoot. Um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely still underrated for what I think I do and bring to the table, but I love it because I don't think I'm underrated to the people that understand the game of basketball. Like, if you understand the game of basketball, I'm not underrated. To those that don't understand the game of basketball, I'm – if they don't understand the game of basketball, I'm overrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the complete opposite if you understand. So to those that don't understand – I don't give a fuck. I can't think of a more Draymond Green way to end the first poor of our show than Draymond saying he doesn't give a fuck. Dre, my brother, I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. Um, And we're out of here. All right, peace.